Welcome and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. Our Alpha Sermon Series continues with a special guest speaker. Andy Croft from Soul Survivor Church in Watford, England, is here to give us four tips to build our confidence for sharing Jesus. So we're, we're, we're doing an Alpha Series, uh, and uh, the, the title for this one is How and Why Should I Share Jesus? So I really want to try, if I can, to, uh, to try and answer that question, at least in part. And whenever, whenever we think about sharing Jesus, the, for me, the key passage to go to is, is always what Jesus tells the disciples um, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 28, he gives what's become known as the Great Commission. And let me just read it to us to remind us. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." Now, I don't know about you, um, but for me, when I hear those words, so often I've, I've just ended up feeling inadequate. Um, I've ended up feeling a little bit guilty. I've heard it as a massive pressure. You have come to know me, says Jesus, and I relieve from you the burden of your sins. Now receive this burden, the burden of converting the entire planet, right? You know, I wonder if they turned to each other and he said, did he say, all nations, like every single one, not just down the road, but everything. I heard it as a pressure. And because of that, I, and because I've always felt, if I'm honest, just a little bit rubbish when it comes to sharing the good news of Jesus with other people. Um, I, I, I took it as a pressure. And, um, and yet recently, in the last few months, I've been coming back to this passage and I've realized that I, I heard it as a pressure when really it's a promise. And so he does say, and he does command us to go. And he says, teach them to obey. And he says, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And he does say everybody. But it's, but it's sandwiched between these two other assurances. The first is, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. There's not a single corner of the universe over which I have not written mine. And then the second promise is, and I'm coming with you. So it's, it's a promise rather than a pressure. And when, when I think about um, this whole notion of sharing Jesus with people, I often reflect on my own story of coming to know God. And if you had asked me in the early few years after I'd become a Christian, I became a Christian when I was about 17. If you'd asked me, um, how did that happen? I would have said to you, well, it was kind of, you know, I weighed it all up and I looked at the evidence and someone took me to church. And in my case, it wasn't an alpha course, but it was a bit like that. And, you know, I weigh it all up and then I decide I'm going to follow Jesus. And, you know, I've made the decision. And now, um, it's not that that's not true, but now I just see there's another, there's another side to it. Um, and one of the things that brought it home for me happened when I was, I was dating my now wife, Beth. Um, I'm married and I got four little boys, uh, seven and under. Um, my wife obviously was very happy when I told her I was heading to Hawaii for two weeks and she was going to be looking after our kids. Um, but uh, anyway, we, when we started dating, we were at different universities in England and um, I went to, to visit her one time at her university and we were walking along one evening and she was a little bit cold and I was wearing like a, a hoodie. 
big jumper. And she, when she said she was cold, I thought, oh, I'll give you my jumper. I try and be a gentleman, right? So I, I gave her the jumper. And, uh, and then a, a little while, just before I headed back to, to my university, she gave it back to me. I shoved it in my bag and, and got home and then just put it in my wardrobe without thinking anything of it. And then I remember about two or three weeks after that happened, I pulled this jumper out of the wardrobe and I pulled it on. And as I pulled it on, it really smelled in a good way. It really smelled of Beth. It was just like, whoa, this is, this is crazy. Um, and I remember ringing her and saying, hey, Beth, you know, this jumper, it really smells of you. And this is like three weeks later. And she just said, oh, does it? You know, and, and didn't say anything else. And, uh, and so I, I was loving it. Like I, I spent the next two or three days just wearing this jumper constantly, sniffing the hood of it as I, as I walked around my university campus. Um, and if you'd asked me at that point, you know, how's it going with, with Beth? I would have said, it's going pretty well. I said, I've, I've watched the movies. I know what I'm meant to do. I am, you know, sending her flowers and I'm trying to take her out for dinner and I'm, you know, trying to be working the charm and all that stuff. And I think she's falling for it. It's going quite well, right? And then what happened is, after about six months, Beth, uh, Beth and I were talking, and she confessed to me one day that what had happened is before she gave me the jumper back, she'd taken a bottle of her perfume, and she had poured half a bottle of perfume all over the jumper and then given it back to me. And... and that was the moment I realized, okay, what I thought was happening is I was kind of charming Beth and pulling the moves. And now I see it through new eyes. Now I see that I was this innocent little fly buzzing along and she was a spider spinning her sub, you know, web of lies and she was trapping me. And although I had a choice, I'm not sure I had much of a chance. And, and, and it's like, that's what happened. I thought all the time I was chasing you and I realized that you just, you were, you were coming for me. And now I look back at my story and I don't know if you've got a similar experience of coming to know Jesus. And at the start, I thought, yeah, I'm weighing all the options up and I'm considering everything. And now I see, but then there was this person in my life and then that conversation happened and then this coincidence took place. And I realized all along you were pursuing me and you were chasing me. That the story of the God we believe in isn't a God who stayed up reluctant in heaven, but came to be among us. He ran towards us in the person of his son, Jesus. He's pursuing us. And it's so helpful, I think, and so encouraging to remind ourselves of that truth. Because when it comes to reaching the world around us, and not just the world, but, but our, our, our friends, our children... Our, our, our siblings, our colleagues, our neighbours, when it comes to reaching the people that we long to see come to know him, it starts with just remembering before, before it's ever about them, he is pursuing them. He, he, his desire is for them. And so we are partnering with him, doing what he already wants to do even more than we want him to. That's a starting place for it. And then um, often I found just in my own life, just a real lack of confidence when it comes to sharing Jesus. And so uh, I've just got four things that I want to mention in the rest of the talk that for me give me confidence when I'm, when I'm thinking about sharing Jesus with those around me. Here's the first one. It's to remember that we have a story to tell. We have a story to tell. Um, you know, what we're sharing is not the terms and conditions of some kind of a contract. 
Uh, it's not a list of propositions or arguments. Ultimately, it's a story. And it's a story that makes sense of our life. It's a story that makes sense of the world around us. Um, there was a time I was watching this TV program back in the UK. And the program was about um, people who had been put up for adoption or they, they'd put somebody up for adoption very early in life. And um, it was a program where they would reunite these people with their biological families. And the episode that I watched, there was a lady there who told her story. And her story was that when she was little, she overheard her mum and dad talking and arguing in the kitchen one evening. About, um, and she found out through that argument that her dad had had a relationship before he married her mum that there had been a, a son born as a result of this fling, this affair that he'd had, and that he'd never, he'd never been able to find the son. He tried, but the woman that he'd, he'd had the affair with didn't want to have anything to do with him and uh, didn't want him in her life. And ultimately, she put the boy that was born as a result of that relationship up for adoption. And he tried and tried and tried to find the boy, but he'd never been able to. Anyway, he had died. The father had died. And this... this, this lady wanted to find her half-brother. So she contacted this TV program, and they got their experts on it, and their experts tracked down the half-brother who had moved from Wales in the UK to Australia. He'd moved the whole world. And uh, they, they, because it's telly, they said to her, we found your brother, and why don't you write him a letter? So she wrote him a letter explaining the story. And then they gave it to the TV presenter and the TV presenter got on a plane and flew to Australia and then went to this guy's door and knocked, knocked on his door. And by this point, this, this man is, has grown up. So he's now in his 60s. He's a, he's a, he's a father, he's a grandfather. Uh, he's built a whole life for himself in Australia. And, and anyway, they end up sitting around the kitchen table, the, the TV presenter and the guy. And uh, the, the TV presenter just says, tell me a bit about yourself. So he tells him some of his story and about how he was adopted and, and how he only found out, this man, that he was adopted in the playground when he was six when a, when a school friend threw an insult at him and told him. And he talked about how he'd, he'd, he'd never known his parents and always wondered why, as you would, why did they not want me? And, um, and then the TV presenter put this letter on the table and he said, how, how would you feel to know that you had a sister and she was looking for you. And you see this guy just begin to react. And then the presenter puts the letter on the table and slides it over to him. And he opens the letter. And again, because it's telly, they make him read the letter aloud. Right? So he reads this letter. And you can just put yourself in this guy's shoes. His whole life, he must have wondered, why? Why didn't you want to know me? He must, and, and as, as is so often the case, have assumed the worst. You know, maybe it's this about me, maybe it's that about me. And then he finds in this letter the truth, which is that he had a dad who longed to know him, whose biggest regret in his life when he died was that he'd never been able to. A dad who'd never stopped trying to find him, he just hadn't been able to do it. And, and you see him reading this letter, and, and literally halfway through the letter, he just loses it. Um, and, and, and he just starts sobbing and then he explains part of the reason why he moved to the other side of the world is, is to escape the stigma that was attached in those days to being born outside of marriage. And his whole world shifted in that one moment because somebody slid something across to him that told him the truth. And what we have to share is the truth. It's this 
utterly beautiful story. When we, when we tell somebody about God, it's not, we're not trying to win an argument. We're trying to say, hey, I found out that there's a father who's been searching for us, whose desire is, is, is us, who loves us, that there's a savior who's come for us, that he, he, he adores us. And, and it's the equivalent of sliding across the table. When, when, we, when they get that, that everything changes for people. We have a story to tell, and, and sometimes it's hard to know where to begin in telling the story. And I think often the most practical thing to do is to begin by telling our story. And you see people do that in the Gospels when they meet Jesus. The, uh, you know, in Mark chapter 5, there's the guy with the legion of demons who Jesus, he casts the demons out and sends them into the pigs. And then we're told um, that he went home to the Decapolis, this is in Mark 5 verse 20, and told them how much Jesus had done for him. He just went t- talking about how much Jesus had done for him. That's where he started. And the Samaritan woman by the well, when she met Jesus, we're told that she ran back to the local town that she was from and she said, come and meet a man who's just told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? She's just telling her story of what happened when she met Jesus. Paul does the same thing on more than one occasion. He just says, listen, I was, I was an enemy of the church and I was persecuting Christians and then I was on this road and I met Jesus and this is what happened. And so all we have a story to tell that the world needs to hear. It's a far better story than any they've believed and this one is true. And we get to tell it in part by telling our story and how we've come to know his. So we have a story to tell. That's the first thing that... I find gives me a bit of confidence. Here's the second thing. We have a family to share. We have a family to share. Um, the mayor of Watford uh, came to our church a couple of years ago and we showed him around and, and gave him a cup of tea. And I was, I was chatting with him and I said to him, we're, we're, we obviously just want to, we want to serve our town. So what is the biggest challenge? What's the biggest problem in Watford that you can see? And the mayor of Watford said, the first biggest problem in Watford is loneliness. The second is car parking. (laughs) And let me tell you, the car parking is horrendous, right? So how bad the loneliness must be? I don't know. The the first is loneliness. And I I wonder if we miss, we forget, certainly those of us who've been in the church for a while, the power that there is, the attractiveness that there is in being a family. Jesus actually says, this is in John 13, verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then get this next bit. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's the giveaway. They'll they'll, they'll see me and they'll know you belong to me in the way that you love. And... um, for, for me, in our, in our church in Watford, there have been all sorts of moments where this has just come home to me afresh. When my, um, when my third son, Caleb, was born, he was born with a, a serious heart defect, like one in 10,000 sort of heart condition. And, uh, and it devastated us that he had to go through everything he had to go through. He was, he was in a, a, a hospital in central London for two months. He had to have a massive heart operation when he was one month old. And um, we were broken by it as a couple. And the church, they, they prayed for us. They baked for us. I think I put on about 30 pounds um, over two months. Beth was in the hospital for two months with him, and, and I was at home with our other two boys. I couldn't give anything to the church during those months. I wasn't able to do my job at all. And they just, they just loved us and loved us and loved us. And 
And I remember there was a particular morning where we, about a year later, we dedicated Caleb um, along with some of the other children uh, who'd been born in the church. And we were up in front of a packed out church and we got to sort of together as a family, just give thanks to God for the gift of Caleb. And it was incredibly moving. And that we had all our extended family there for a big celebration. I remember I was just leaving the church when this guy from the church called Ray came up to me and he just grabbed me as I was walking out. And he said, hey, Andy, can you come and pray for my motorbike? That's never happened to me before. Um, but he said, can you come and pray for my motorbike? And I was, to be honest, I was like, not really. I've got all my family here. You know, but he was so keen for me to. I said, okay. So I went out the back of the fire escape. We're, we're out of the back of an industrial estate. Now, just to picture where we are, kind of imagine the setting we're in right now and then imagine the polar opposite of it when it comes to beauty and you've got our church, right? So it's just this horrible industrial state. I'm at the back of a fire escape and Ray, his story is that he, he became a Christian in our church. He, um, he was an addict and we have a recovery group for people who are recovering from drug and alcohol addiction and addiction to other things. And he, became, he got free of his addictions through this group and he'd been um, kind of sober and drug free for three years and um, he, he, he just we were standing there with this motorbike and I just you know when you, you dedicate a baby you say what name have you given this baby so he said um, I said to him what name have you given this motorbike and he said Roxanne <laughs> um, and, and I said to him what does, this, what does this motorbike mean to you Ray and he just said freedom and for him, he, he just, he welled up and he said, if you'd spoken to me three years ago, I never would have believed you if you told me that I'd be standing here with a motorbike. My, you know, his life was so far gone. And he said, it's everything to do with this place. It's everything to do with these people. And so we prayed. And just as we'd given thanks for, for Caleb, we gave thanks for the freedom that this bike was for him. And I remember walking home to trying to catch up with my family by myself and thinking, the church is just a bit nuts, isn't it? It's crazy. Like, what other room would there be where there's all the, these people were just, we're so, such different backgrounds and such different stories. And yet here we are together. And just as the church rallied around me and was my family and in our hour of need with, with my son, so for, for Ray, we rallied around and we were family for him. And I remember thinking, it is a bit nuts, but there is, there is nowhere else I would rather be in my life. And um, I was chatting to another guy who, who turned up at our church about four or five weeks ago now. And um, he, he, had, he, had, he told me a bit of his story. Basically, he wasn't a Christian. During lockdown, someone had shown him a little clip of our live stream service. And he had decided to watch the whole of our live stream service. And so, and then he'd started to watch it every week. And he'd, he would say, he'd finish his working day. And rather than watch telly, he would put on the worship from our services. And, and then, and he'd been doing this for a year and a half before he finally came to the church. He turns up at the church and um, he said, I, during the worship, I was talking to him after his first service. During the worship, I closed my eyes and I sang all the songs because he knew them, even though he didn't believe in Jesus. And, and then, and then he, he, I said, well, we love that you're here. Maybe come back again if you, if you fancy it next week. Well, he came back. And uh, when I was chatting with him the following week, he just began to tell me about how lonely he was. And then, um, and then he said to me, the truth is, I came here to see if you guys are like what you seem like you are on your live stream. I came here to find out. And, and I've, I've decided to myself, this is crazy. He said, if you are, he'd come a bit of a driveway. If you are, I'm going to move to Watford 
and I'm going to join your church. He's not a Christian. And, and I ended up introducing him to a small group leader. And so he went, I said, you go if you want to. He went to the small group. He came along to our newbies meal. He said, can I come even though I'm not a follower of Jesus yet? I said, of course you can. And he, he's, he, he said to me, and this was his words, he just said, I'm really lonely. And he was looking for family. And, um, and he's on a journey now. And I remember actually thinking, not long after I chatted to him, I wonder what the clip was that sort of somebody showed him that, that hooked him in. You know, was it, was it the worship? I kind of hoped it would be the preaching. If it was the preaching, I was 100% hoping it was my preaching and not Mike's preaching, all right? But the clip he told me, I'm going to show it to you in a second. The clip he told me was actually in, you know, we have um, in Advent, we light a candle. You guys do that. We light candles. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like a sacred and a solemn moment. Um, our live stream usually doesn't go according to plan. And someone showed him a clip of when Mike tried to light the Advent candle for the first time. Can we just show this? Here it is. So as, as the candle shines, so Jesus shines in our darkness. Spare. <laughs> this always happens to me. You gotta hold it. Hold it. <laughs> <laughs> I made a complete mess of that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's where his journey started to faith. Um, and it's like, you know what? It wasn't something that was polished. It was the opposite of slick. And we can't do slick to save our lives. So, but what, what I think it was, was it's just real. It, it is just real. And it's, it's family. And it's like, we, don't, we take him very seriously, but we can't take ourselves very seriously. He was drawn to it. There's something so attractive about family. And God, we have a family to share. We have family to share. So that's the second thing that gives me confidence. Here's the third one. We have a weapon to use. And uh, I remember when I was, um, this is years ago now, but I was cycling home one evening in Watford. And at this point, I lived in a more deprived part of Watford. And as I was cycling home about 10 o'clock at night, I saw this, this lad, about 15 years old, sitting on a fence crying. And this did not happen on that estate very much. Uh, so I went over to him and I just said, are you Okay. And he, and he obviously wasn't. And he, he, just, he just started to open up to me as I sat there. And he told me a bit of his story. And, and his story was that he'd, he'd never known his dad and that his mum had died a couple of years before. Both his older brothers were in jail. He was being looked after by a social worker who didn't want to know, a government worker who wasn't interested in him. And his girlfriend who lived down the road had just broken up with him. And... I honestly didn't know what to say to him, but, but what, he, what he kept saying to me, I've never forgotten it. He just repeated it over and over. Is he kept saying, I just want to know that someone loves me. I just want to know that someone loves me. And the truth is, as we get older, and maybe life isn't as hard for some of us as it was in that particular moment for him, we get better and better at hiding that. But 
But inside every single human being, there is that longing and that cry. I just want to know that someone loves me. And the weapon that Jesus gives us, the only weapon we are allowed to use to defeat our enemies is the weapon of love. Here's, here's how you treat your enemies. Jesus says, love them. Pray for those who persecute you. And in doing so, you show that you're children of your father. The weapon is love. And we're living in a world as we know, that is increasingly divided, increasingly polarized, worse and worse at listening to one another. And the truth is, as, as his people, we are to stand apart and to be people who love. And again, there's something irresistible about it, that we would love people before they're lovable, that we would be drawn to people before there's anything to draw us, before there's anything attractive. And again, in our church, just to come back to, we get loads of things wrong, but one of the things that we try and be is a church where it's okay not to be okay. And, and uh, there was a few years ago, um, a lady in, one of, in our recovery group, who um, one, the lady that runs the group came up to Mike just before the service and said, hey, it's Lisa's one-year anniversary of being free from alcohol and drug addiction. And so during the notices, Mike stood up and said, what we do in our church is we celebrate people's achievements. Lisa, stand up. Lisa stood up. And there's about 700 of us or so there. And Mike just said in front of all 700, this is Lisa's one year of being drug and alcohol free. And all 700 people just erupted. They erupted. And you should have seen the look on her face as she stood there and looked around at her family celebrating her. And then get this, um, a couple of weeks later, we got an email from someone in the church. And the person in the church said, I brought along two weeks ago, uh, my friend, who is seven months free of alcohol addiction, it was her first time in the church. And she, um, when, when you got Lisa to stand and the whole church cheered for her and clapped and cheered, my friend, who's seven months free of alcohol and was her first time in church, she turned to me and she looked at me with wonder in her eyes and she just said, is that what you do in your church for people like me? You celebrate people like me. And that's exactly what we're meant to do. He welcomes sinners and eats with them. It's like this is, we have the most potent thing in our hands, which is we have love. And there's, there's something utterly irresistible about it. So we have love to share. And if we remember these first three, as we think about sharing Jesus with other people, we have a story to tell, a family to share. We have a weapon to use, the weapon of love. Even then, I find that I lack confidence. I don't know about you. Uh, even then, I do. And so this is the fourth and the final one. It's to remember that we have a partner to count on. And, and this is where we come back to the Great Commission and we remind ourselves again that it isn't a pressure, it's a promise. All authority is mine. He is still the Lord. He's no less the Lord than he was before the pandemic. He's no less the Lord than he's, he's, he's the Lord of all. And he's with us. And partly partnering with him, surely that has to involve prayer. Because I've got people in my life, and I know you will, that even though I've said all of those things, they're still not interested. They're still miles away. And yet I have a partner in heaven who has all the authority. And he tells me and he tells you again and again in the scripture that if we call on his name, he's faithful and he listens to our prayers. And one of the, one of the stories that inspires me most about praying for others is, uh, I don't know if you've come across D.L. Moody, the great evangelist in the 1800s. 
But he led more people to Jesus in that century than probably anybody else. And, and, and he, would, he would talk all the time about the power of prayer. He said, I'd, I'd rather learn how to pray than how to preach. Because Jesus never taught people how to preach. He did teach them how to pray. And famously, he had a list of 100 people that he would pray for every day that they would come to know God. And they would have his, you know, his brother on there. He'd have his children on there. He'd have his, his next door neighbor on there. And he'd pray for them every day that they come to know the Lord. And by the time he died, 96 of them had given their lives to Jesus. And the other four became Christians at his funeral. A friend of ours, um, a lady called Ellie, who, who now leads um, the Vineyard Net- Network of Churches. She's the, one of the global leaders of that. She, I remember her, hearing her testimony and she talked about how she went to university and she was in a room with a Christian. And uh, they shared a room together for three years. And Ellie, who was really not sure about God or any of it, after three years, she ended up giving her life to Jesus. And at that point, her friend uh, told her that before she went to university, she would prayed that God would put her in a room with somebody who wanted to meet. And then every day for three years, this, this girl had prayed for Ellie, that Ellie would come to faith. And Ellie said, if you never do anything else in your life as a believer, pray that one person will give their lives to Jesus. You know what? Maybe we can't manage a hundred. That is a long list. But we could do one. We could do five, couldn't we? And so prayer moves because God moves in response to prayer. And, 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 and when I remember that we have a partner, it's not just through prayer, but it's also he gives us power. And this is where I finish. Because what Jesus says to his disciples is, you know what? I'm with you. And also, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And he's going to, do, he's going to work through you. And we see the church explode into growth in the book of Acts. And you look at the disciples and you think, how have these guys... How have these guys managed that, right? They, they, they don't understand Jesus. They abandon him in his hour of need. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're a bunch of Muppets in so many ways. They're so confusing to see how they manage that. And of course, we know the responses because he, they, it was him in them. It was always going to be that. The hope isn't we'll get really determined. The hope is that he fills us again with his power and we do it in dependence on him. And I, I finish with this uh, a friend of ours, a guy called Ants, Anthony, he, he tells a story about his little girl, Hannah, who's six. And he says that Hannah, one of her favorite things to do is to start a little fire in their, their sort of fireplace at home. And uh, he says sometimes when he'll get home, Hannah will come running up to him and say, Daddy, Daddy, let's make a fire. So they go to the fireplace and they, you know, they get all the sticks and all the little bits in there and, uh, they, and they, they light it. And he says, now Hannah's quite a bright little girl, so she knows that you've got to blow on the fire to make it go, right? But when she blows on it, she blows like a six-year-old. So she just goes, you know. And he says, more water goes on the fire than, than almost anything else, right? But after a little while of her going all over the fire, he says, the fire catches. And she turns around and she goes, I did it, Daddy. I did it. And he goes to her, well done, Hannah. Well done. You did, you clever girl. You did it. And then he says, but what Hannah doesn't see is when she's there going all over the fire, daddy is behind her and he's going. And our best attempts to tell a story and share a family and 
love people wherever they're at, our best attempts will be a bit like a... But our hope and our reason for confidence is the fact that he's behind us. He's with us. His spirit is in us. And he goes... Amen. Amen. Mike, when you come and join me. Um, before we go any further, I, I just want to thank you for showing that clip. <laughs> that was. <coughs> I thought you'd be blessed by that. And that was lovely that you you left it to be a surprise. You didn't ask me. He asked first. me what the clip I was going to show was today, and I said, "You'll see." Seriously, that that was truth. That was wonderful. And what we want to do is, before we finish, we just want to spend a short amount of time. Uh, waiting on the God who blows on the embers, who blows on the dry wood, who blows on our lives. Um, The Great Commission, and as you go, I will go with you. I will be with you to the ends of the earth. And he is by his spirit. He empowers us. He equips us. The God that we love and the God that we serve doesn't just tell us to do things and leave us to it. He fills us that we might be able to obey. What I would love to do is we just love just to spend a few moments of stillness. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit. We don't command him, we wouldn't dare, but we humbly invite him to meet with us, to fill us Jesus, he breathed on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And we want to ask him to breathe on us right now. And we're not going to manipulate anything or hype anything up. You don't hype the Holy Spirit up, he comes down. And you know, the, the scripture says, be still and know that I am God. Just for a few moments, let's be still in our hearts that we would know his presence with us. And Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask now that you send your Holy Spirit afresh on your church, on your body, on your family. Breathe on us, we pray. We welcome you. We pray the ancient prayer of your church down the centuries. Come, Holy Spirit, we wait for you now. Now don't be afraid of the stillness, of the silence. The Lord is here. The Lord is here. In just a moment, we would love to pray for anyone who um, you're sensing that the Lord is meeting with you in a special way. And it may be 
that through something that Andy said, uh, it's really touched you and it's hit a raw point. Uh, it may be that uh, you're sensing his presence in a particular way. Maybe you, you've come uh, with a need, whether you're here or, or watching at home. Uh, the Lord can meet us wherever we are. We don't have to be in, in, in the building. Uh, it may be that you would like prayer for healing or to be filled with the Holy Spirit or for, for a situation that you're in. Maybe there's a relationship that needs healing. It's possible that you've come and someone's invited you and like the guy that Andy was talking about, you, you've not met Jesus and you'd like to. We'd love to introduce him to you. In a moment, we're going to worship and maybe Tom and the band could quietly come up. And um, if you would like prayer for anything, there'll be folk that'll be ready to pray for you. Just come and just stand anywhere here at the front, anywhere here, and someone would love, would love to pray for you. Jesus is here. And as Andy said, it is our joy to be here with you. We love this church. And uh, it will be our joy to pray with you. So why don't we all quietly just stand now? And, and as we begin to worship, if you would like prayer, if you sense God's presence in a particular way and you say, Lord, I'd love, I love more of you, then just come and just stand anywhere here. And we would love, we would love to serve you and to pray for you. So don't be afraid to be first. Do, do come if that is what you'd like. Just as we worship, just stand here. And it may be you might want to come as a couple. It may be if you struggle to come on your own, ask someone to come with you. If there's others, just come. And we'd love some just to be ready to come and pray, if, if you can. That's it. That's it. Could we have some coming to pray? If you're able to in the church, that would be great. And Lord Jesus, we pray for our brothers and sisters, for our friends. And we ask, Lord, that your love would meet with them. That in your love you would meet with them. And meet with all of us. And Lord, bring healing to broken hearts. Bring healing to broken bodies. Bring life, Lord. Bring life. Bring life, Lord Jesus. We could do with a few more to come and pray. Ethan, could you come? That's it. That's it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come, come through, Ethan. That's it. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord Jesus. And we're not going to be afraid of tears. Okay? Uh, this is a safe place. And someone once said, if you can't bleed in a hospital, where can you bleed? And if you can't cry in church, where can you cry? <laughs> We love you, Lord. As we, as we worship, um, I just want to pray, Lord Jesus, um, we pray that in the coming months and years, there will be many that would meet you in this church, that would say they found you, but the truth is you found them. Lord, put your perfume on their sweaters. Lord, we pray that there would be a sense of the aroma 
of your love in this place more and more. And as we worship, as we begin to come to a close, um, I'm not very good at this, but I try to listen to, to the Lord. And, and if I think he might be speaking, I'd rather say it and be wrong than always wonder. Because if I get it wrong, nobody dies. But if it's Jesus, someone's life might be blessed and changed. And, and I just wonder if there's someone here, you're, you're, really, you're really concerned um, about your son. And um, I think in the last week, um, there was a, a conversation or an incident that, that made you, uh, that, that just made you really concerned. And, and, and during this meeting, you, you were thinking about your son and, and you just were think, I don't know what to do. I don't know, I don't know how to help. And if that's you, I think the Lord wants to meet with you and give you his peace and to reassure you. And I'd just love you just to indicate if you can and or come forward and we'd love just to get someone to pray for you. Um, is, is that someone here uh, that that makes, is that you? All right, wonderful. Well, why don't we pray into that situation with your son? And I actually wonder if there's a second, is there a second person that's not exactly that, but something similar, you're, you're just concerned about your son. Is it you as well? All right, all right, and you, okay. Okay, we're going to pray into that. Andy, could you just as well come um, here? And Lord, we pray. We, Lord, we pray for all our children. We pray for all our children. And Lord, we pray that they would know you, that they would love you, that they would know your love for them. We pray, Lord, good things for our children, for the children of this church, for the young people of this church. We pray, Lord. Uh, that, that they would make a difference in this world for you, for good. Bless them, we pray. Just before I give the final uh, benediction, blessing, I want to say, uh, just affirm those of you who've come forward and um, thank you for that. And the Lord is pleased and is pouring into you his love and his grace and his mercy. And for those of you online as well as here, uh, Mike and Andy's ministry continues at the HIM 2022 conference starting Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And I'm not trying to be a salesperson because it's free. So it's not like I'm trying to get anything out of anybody. But uh, uh, please join us for that as well as there are 28 other speakers. And it'll be right here. And so people, you can sign online, um, HIM2022.org. Very simple. So please receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and his countenance be upon you. And may, you know, deep in your heart, the wonderful love of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Well, God bless you all. I'll see you next week. Those of you online, ahui ho. See you later. God bless. Aloha. God said to make disciples of all nations. We can't do this or anything without God. He is with us and for us. And thanks again to Mike Pilavachi and Andy Croft from Soul Survivor Church. If you want to catch up on or re-listen to previous services, you can find past sermons on our websites, 
fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. You can also find First Prez sermons on most major podcast services and on YouTube. Here's good news. First Prez is back to worshiping in person. No sign-up necessary. Just come. Services are Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. at the Ko'olau campus. You can also watch the live stream online at fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. Remember, when you visit the First Prez website, sign up for emails for links to sermons, daily devotionals, church news and updates, and lots more. And as always, if there's anything First Prez can do for you, please just reach out through the website or call 808-532-1111. For Senior Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2022 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.